You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works number 266, volume 1 of three volumes, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled From the Esoteric School, Esoteric Lessons, 1904 to 1909, translated by James H. Hines. I'm reading these in sections, so there's multiple esoteric lessons in each one due to the varying lengths of them. Some are very short, some are longer. This is the esoteric lesson given in Berlin on March 14, 1908. The verse is from Rudolf Steiner's notebook, archive number 155, Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Lilla Harris. Record B, notes from Anonymous, from a notebook of Günther Schubert. Record C, manuscript from Camilla Vandry. Record D, notes from Günther Wagner. A further aside, the verse given during this hour is again a free rendering by Rudolf Steiner of an old Rosicrucian verse. It is contained in, titled, Secret Symbols of the Rosicrucians from the 16th and 17th centuries, Altona, 1785, reprint, Berlin, 1919. I'll try, okay, the, the beginning of this is in Latin, I'll give it a try. Ignis Philosophorum Invisibilis and Secretissimus Occultatum. Quote, Strive for the fire. Seek the fire, so you will find the fire, light a fire, put fire to fire, cook fire in fire, throw body, soul, and spirit into fire, thus you have dead and living fire, out of which will come black, yellow, white, and red fire. Bear your children in fire. Feed, give them to drink, nourish them in fire. So they will live and die in fire. And be fire and stay in fire. Their silver and gold will become fire. Heaven and earth will perish in fire and become finally a fourfold philosophic fire. Close quote, bracket, Rudolf Steiner's manuscript was used as a basis for the wording of this verse. Now, record A, and there's a diagram, and I will be describing it. And beneath that diagram again, quote, strive for the fire, seek the fire, so fire will come to you, ignite the fire, fit fire to fire. Boil fire in fire. Throw body, soul, and spirit into fire. Then you have a dead and living fire. It becomes black, yellow, white, and red fire. Bear your children in fire. Feed, give them to drink, nourish them in fire, so they will live and die in fire, and be fire, and stay in fire. 
silver and gold will all become fire and finally and become finally a fourfold philosophic fire Close quote. these lines in the verse above are material for meditation which if the esoteric pupil uses it for exercises will give much power during the saturn period there were no material planets but only a globe of warmth upon which the spirits of darkness, the Azuras, achieved their humanity. The blood we had at that time was dark. It was a hidden, glimmering fire. There was much more warmth on that planet, but no light. The Saturn principle is masculine. As Saturn disappeared and the sun rose out of the darkness, the second element caused the air with its combustible material, oxygen, to flare up in the fire of Saturn. And then there was light, as is symbolized by the alchemical substance sulfur. Then the black blood was transformed into yellow. During the moon period, the entire atmosphere was watery. It was not water as we know it. That water was divided into small particles that were spherical, and that moved with an incredible speed at random. This state of the moon substance is found again in the liquid mercury, which is also divided up into very small spheres, and is more active, mobile, than all other substances. Just as this substance is white, so too the blood during the moon period was also white, and was formed into shapes by the sound of the world. These forms are feminine. The entire human being represents the principle of the feminine. During the earth period, the fourth element appears, earth, in connection with the third alchemical substance, salt, which is the symbol of crystallization and dissolution. And here the masculine appears. Thus our present humankind, with its red blood, is formed on the earth. Everything that can be dissolved is salt. Thus we have four kinds of fire in the four kinds of blood which we have had in the past. Black blood or black fire in the Saturn period, yellow blood or yellow fire in the Sun period, white blood or white fire in the Moon period, and red blood or red fire in the Earth period. The heat or warmth that now lives in our blood is the warmth of the planet Saturn. These different kinds of blood or fire are still in us and create the instruments for spirits that work in us and upon us until we are sufficiently individualized to take over all the functions that are performed by these spirits. The air that we breathe is the instrument, the bearer or body of a certain kind of spirit. The rays of light that penetrate our eyes bear in themselves a spirit of light that works in our eyes. The spirits of Saturn find their point of attack in the warmth of our blood, in the eye capital. Some of them are very evil and dangerous. The path to master our instruments is shown in the lines on the first page. The four kinds of fire are related to the essential part of our four lower sheaths, which are the, quote, children of the eye, close quote. 
these must be burned in the, quote, fire of the spirit, close quote, so that they become the fourfold philosophical fire in the Vulcan period. We must, quote, fit fire to fire, close quote. The fire of the lower passions must be purified through a union with a higher spiritual fire. How that happens will perhaps become clearer if we see that our entire life is filled with four kinds of activity. With our physical senses, we perceive the world surrounding us. With our life body, we feel sympathy or antipathy toward others. With our desire body, we feel wishes and soul movements. With our intellect, we draw conclusions, make decisions. That is the most important part, that we form conclusions and decisions. We can change our view about something, but a decision once made continues to exist, and the result of an entire manvantara depends upon the decisions and resolves formed during the duration of the same. Just as fire leaves behind the ashes of the burned material, so too a decision or a resolve leaves something good or bad behind, which always remains. For this reason the basic esoteric principle is never act if you are in doubt. As thought leaves ashes behind, it strengthens the bones. For this reason it is taught that if someone is suffering from rickets, he or she should practice abstract thinking such as geometry, sensory-free thinking. They will then do better than those who lack such training. Our sympathy or antipathy works on the etheric body. We can easily see this through ordinary observation. We know that the etheric body rules the glands. When, for example, a gourmet sees tasty food, the saliva glands become active and the mouth waters. To the extent that we learn to master ourselves and balance our sympathy and antipathy, the glands in our body will dry out and become like the bark of a tree that protects what is within. In plants, the juices flow up and down. For this reason, they cannot withstand the cold of winter. They die. Trees, on the other hand, allow the outside to dry up and become bark, thereby protecting themselves from the drastic effects of storm and cold. It is the same with initiates. Their life body does not die from one incarnation to another. Thus were the druids, and, in quotes, Druid means oak, which is the strongest of the trees. Blood is the instrument of the eye, capital. The Saturn spirits work in the warmth of our blood, as Christ worked in the blood of Jesus. Jesus was thirty years old when Christ entered him. During those thirty years, Jesus had worked on his physical, etheric, and astral bodies. Then Christ took hold of the blood and purified it, in three years. For this reason the blood had to flow. When we have purified our four bodies in this way, then we will have the fourfold philosophical fire which belongs to the Vulcan period. That is the end of record A. This is record B. In the previous esoteric lesson, we saw how the matter of Saturn consisted of fire, of warmth. The fire of Saturn was dark, black, on the sun, this fire was differentiated into air and light.
to the fact that the air burned, old sun began to radiate light into space. Therefore, a process of combustion occurred. Old moon consisted of water matter. There was nothing but drops that swirled back and forth. This was expressed in the mercury principle. The drops were separated from each other and were organized in manifold ways by the sound that came from the universe and permeated the moon. In this way the feminine principle emerged. On the earth one called salt, in quotes, that part of the earth's matter that dissolved in water. This is a significant fact in world events. Only on the earth could the masculine principle emerge from the essence of earth's matter, and only from this could the human being grow as the crowning event. Human beings carry the four elements, so to speak, within themselves. If we consider human beings on old Saturn, then we find them as the mirror image of God. They were surrounded by fire matter. This fire matter that was outside human beings on earth, excuse me, this fire matter that was outside human beings on Saturn is today in the warmth of their blood. Hence the fire matter of Saturn finds its expression in our present day blood. We know that the spirits of personality have brought us egotism with its usefulness and destructiveness. These spirits of personality went through their human stage on Saturn. They bathed in the fiery blood. They swam in it. Thus these spirits remained connected with humans in a certain way. And those spirits of personality who remained behind in evolution and still carry the desire within them to bathe themselves in the blood of human beings will in the future have a very bad influence precisely on the very lowest drives of the blood if they establish themselves in the blood. The only thing that can help here is a spiritual development that knows the same kind of dangers. Today we know only the so-called mineral fire. Fire plays a very great role in the process of evolution. On the moon, the human being still had a white fluid. On the sun, the human being was still like a Feta Morgana image. Human beings became increasingly solidified. On the earth, their blood became red. On the sun, the human being was a being who shone in yellow rays. Today we want to consider especially the element of fire. When we look at humans, we find that to the extent they are earthly, this is expressed in the apparatus of their senses. Insofar as they are water, this is expressed in their glandular system. Insofar as they are air, this is expressed in their nervous system. And insofar as they are fire, this is expressed in their blood. We know that the physical expression of the eye is the blood. The physical expression of the astral body is the nervous system. The physical expression of the etheric body is the glandular system. The evolution of human beings takes place in this way. Beginning from the eye, first the astral body, the etheric body, and then the physical body is transformed into manas, spirit self, life spirit, and spirit human being. The, quote, children of the eye, close quote, as the lower members are called esoterically, 
must therefore gradually be taken hold of by the eye, permeated by fire, so to speak. You know that Jesus of Nazareth in his thirtieth year left his astral, etheric, and physical bodies, and that the eye of Christ entered in. Since the eye is expressed in the blood, this blood was taken hold of by Christ. Christ lived, so to speak, physically in his body of blood. Hence, the significance of blood in Christianity. You will remember that in the fourth stage of Christian initiation, bearing the cross, in the persons involved, those parts of the blood flow together toward those places in the body where they flowed in Christ when he was bearing the cross. The four elements found in the human being are connected to the four kinds of soul activities. One, seeing. Two, sympathy and antipathy. Three, desire. Four, decision. In seeing, the earthly principle is active in as much as human beings perceive through their sense organs. Sympathy and antipathy work upon the glandular system, upon the watery principle. Desire works upon the nervous system, and decisions must be made by the eye. To begin with, human beings look at objects. They must have this seeing, this perceiving. It has a beneficial, solidifying effect on the form of their body. It is beneficial for those with rickets to be taught sensory free thinking, mathematical propositions. When human beings see things, either sympathy or antipathy must be stimulated. These influence the glandular system. This can be observed in gourmands. When they see tasty food, the saliva begins to flow in their mouths. When a human being wants to undergo esoteric development, the glands must gradually dry up, in any case part of the glandular activity, and on a higher level something new must be released. Something similar occurs in a tree, which can form itself continuously, perennially, only by hardening part of its inner fluid into bark, unlike plants. Hence there was a deep significance behind the ancient Germans calling their initiated priests druids or oaks, because a part of eternity pulsed in them, protected by the glands running dry. We must strive to harmonize sympathy and antipathy, to bring them to maturation, not leaping toward heaven for joy or being depressed unto death. Desire comes into being after sympathy and antipathy. This works into the nervous system. Humans who desire several things at once ruin their nerves. We must strive to limit the circle of objects. Now follows the most essential point. We must become decisive. We must bear in mind that what fire brings about, the combustion of some matter into ashes, is, in the soul realm, the process of making a decision. Only through decision does a deed take its place in the context of karma. Therefore, we must handle decisions carefully. Vulcan is the result of the sum of human decisions. A part of our I descends in making a decision. Confucius says, 
If you do not know which of two things you should choose, then preferably do not decide at all, but wait. This esoteric saying has, of course, two sides, as does every saying. The consequence is that we should make ourselves mature enough for decisions. We should educate ourselves into maturity. The I makes decisions. The more mature it becomes, the more correct will the decisions be that it makes. A combustion process will occur that is all the more intense. The eye permeates, so to speak, the lower bodies with fire and gradually consumes them with fire. The fire then is divided into dead and living fire. It is important with which impressions the human being is surrounded. The following verse, which is given to Rosicrucian pupils at a certain stage of their initiation, has a great power, signifying the awakening of sleeping powers in them. Quote, Strive for the fire. Close quote. White, yellow, black fire must be reacquired again. Gold is connected to the sun, silver with the moon. These reflections are to awaken feelings and intuitions and should be taken hold of not only by the intellect but by the soul. End of record B. Now record C. A powerful verse for Rosicrucians at a certain stage of development. Quote again the strive for the fire, which is only that first line is shown here. Close quote. Humankind now stands on earth split into masculine and feminine. We have followed human evolution through the planetary conditions up to the earth. We have seen the kind of cosmic arrangements that have been made in order to make human beings into what they are supposed to become, beings that know, that know themselves and their origin, and how they thereby at the same time learn to take hold of the goal of their evolution. Lofty divine beings guide evolution for the benefit of the whole. Those are the creative beings for our cosmos. On Saturn, the warmth fire element was an element in and of itself, a fine state of matter for which we can form no physical imagination, finer than gas and air, a state such as the warmth of our blood today. The foundation for human bodies at that time consisted of this warmth. Spiritual beings surrounded this Saturn like a mantle, among which were the spirits of form. They have also undergone an evolution. On Saturn, they had, as their lowest member, a body that can be compared to the present-day etheric bodies of human beings. Then they had an astral body, an eye, spirit self, life spirit, spirit human being, and a member that is one degree higher than what a human being can achieve. From the mantle around Saturn, the spirits of form radiated inward fructifying matter, life juices, like a fertilizing continuous rain. Saturn did not keep these radiations, but rather reflected them back like a mirror, as the earth gathers the rain and then lets it rise again as a mist. The spirits of form reflected their own image in the fire mass of Saturn 
and the human being there became an image of God. The myth of Kronos and Gaia, his wife, tells us that Saturn swallowed his children. Secondly, on the sun, the spirits of form radiated their life body entirely into the sun. It was no longer radiated back. The rudiments of the human being were permeated by it. Before, the spirits of form had their image mirrored. Now they are permeating these images with their own life forces. They are handing over their etheric body. Now they have an astral body as their lowest member and add a further member on top of the others. This astral body of the spirits of form is the bearer of astral light that expresses itself all around as sparkling, fiery passion. These cosmic effects are the titans of mythology that create in passion. Through these passions that are working in from the circle of air on Saturn, combustion occurs, the sulfur process. Third, on the moon, the spirits of form send down their astral body and keep as their lowest member the eye. For this they add again another member on top, the tenth member. From outside they are formed of nothing but eyes. These spirits of form work through space on the moon from the outside with their eyes. They have given over the astral body to the rudiments of humans. Everything that humans have, have has flowed down to them from their cosmic environment is a sacrifice of this cosmic environment. Fourth, now comes the earth condition. In the earthly foundation, humans form their body from the elements of the earth. The lofty beings of the sun come over. The spirits of form again sacrifice their lowest member, the I, entirely. They retain, then, for themselves as their lowest member, the spirit self, manas, the wisdom that floods the world. This wisdom surrounds us as the lowest member of the spirits of form. We live, weave, and have our being in this life of wisdom of the spirits of form. The human being receives an I. At first, human beings are nourished from the cosmos of the earth. Around the time of the Lemurians, it worked on the emerging physical body, at first through the astral body that surrounds the emerging human body like a sheath. The human body was still very soft at that time, a very soft mass permeated by magnetic currents. Through the influence of the approaching eye, something like an inversion occurred. One can see through this to the etheric body. A dawning perception begins that opens increasingly outward. Before, human beings had a kind of dawning, dim, inward perception by which they could perceive other humans, animals, and their group souls. Rickets in children can be improved through appropriate geometric study. This repeats what humans went through back then. 
Another gradually evolves in humans' pleasure or displeasure in response to what comes to meet them from the outside. The eyes working on the astral body, the glands which are characterized in occultation as the water element in the human being, produces the feeling of sympathy or antipathy. Now comes the infusion of the luciferic spirits. They radiate lower forces into humans because on the moon they did not make their eye mature enough so that they could surrender it. They strive to do on the earth what should have happened on the moon. The human astral body was exposed to these beings, eye-spirits who had not ascended to the state of the spirits of form, radiated lower forces into human beings, which caused this astral body to fall apart into a higher and a lower part. Through the spirits of form, humans receive the eye that was disposed toward selflessness. Through the luciferic spirits, an eye disposed toward egotism, toward desiring the things of the external world. Desire affects the nerves, developing them into the external sense organs, parenthesis, air, astral body, close parenthesis. It also works on the etheric body, which thereby acquires the power to see outwardly. It opens the senses to the outside world. Human beings recognize what is good or evil for them. This took place in the first third of Atlantis. Finally, the eye took hold of the physical body in the last third of Atlantis. Gradually, the physical body was transformed so that it represented the present-day form. Only now do humans really get to know the external world. We now have the astral, etheric, physical bodies opened up by the infusion of the eye. The three members of the soul are formed by the work of the eye from the, outside, from the inside. In this way, the human being is called to be a co-worker on the work of the gods. Just as earlier the eye was around us, then was drawn into us, and works as God within us, so now the present lowest member of the spirits of form, Manas Wisdom, is spread out around us. To begin with, we can develop human wisdom through the eye, but divine wisdom is spread out around us in the cosmos. What the human being is to gradually acquire is spread out, hidden like a secret in the world that surrounds us. And we ourselves will be filled with this wisdom of the gods when the earth reaches the goal of its evolution by means of the god in the human being, the I, being active in us. Wisdom belongs to the members of the spirits of form, Wisdom is, for them, the same thing the physical body is for us. Wisdom light is the garment of God. Then comes life spirit. And just as those lofty spirits infused us with their manas, thus we receive life spirit, buddhi, as a further member. In the periphery of our earth, 
and connected with it is a very lofty being whose lowest member is buddhi, which for this being represents the same thing as the physical body does for us. At a specific point in earth evolution, we meet that being who instills the forces of the life spirit. This has a fundamental significance for all succeeding planetary developments. And the installation of this member in humans occurred at the mystery of Golgotha. How does humankind manage gradually to receive and win for itself what was instilled as an influence from the periphery into the earth and human beings? The Rosicrucian teacher says that proper decision and resolve decision and resolve that is not brought about by the lower, erring I that is permeated by desire, but decision and resolve that cannot be rescinded brings about karma and its transformation. This decision that flows from the I that the wisdom-filled spirits of form have given us is properly connected to the organ of the I, the fire that permeates everything. Confucius says, if you cannot decide for or against, then preferably leave it alone. Here we vacillate between the I that comes from the spirits of form and the I that comes from Luciferic spirits. The statement is, to be sure, only for esotericists, for otherwise little would happen in the world and no life experiences would be acquired. After the pupil has asked, The Rosicrucian teacher says, How do I find the right kind of decision-making that originates in my higher self? How do I find the path to my higher self? Find the space that is free of all that is personal. The pupil, Where do I find this space? The teacher, In your eye, that wants without self, that thinks without sense perception. The pupil, how can I want without self and think without perception? The teacher, will without the I and think outside yourself. This I makes decisions and resolves and the transformation of the earth is brought about through these. The actual further evolution of humankind and the earth takes place through the correct decisions of this inner ruler in the human being. This ruler must give initiation to the proper decisions and resolves one in serenity, that is, the decisions and resolves appropriate to evolution, which drive people to their actions. Here, however, Human beings cannot simply act under the influence of the wisdom-filled impulse for which they can thank the spirits of form. Another impulse is necessary through which human beings are enabled to develop life spirit or buddhi. Like the others, this impulse comes from the periphery. Cosmic love, whose bearer is the Christ spirit, is streaming in from universal space with the mystery of Golgotha into the aura, into the atmosphere of the earth. Yahweh, 
the sum of the spirits of wisdom and the Christ, the lofty spirit of love, are separated from now on in their earthly mission. Yahweh hands over to the spirit of love the special mission of earth, the development of love. What existed before on earth is only a preschool for the pure spiritual love to which humans are to raise themselves. This love will be the creative element for Jupiter. And this can only come into being if people allow the deed on Golgotha to flow into their deeds through understanding and experiencing that cosmic deed. Thus the spirits of wisdom, Yahweh and his band, withdrew and henceforth worked from the periphery. They became the spirits of orbital periods and worked down into the earth from other celestial bodies. The true experience of the earth, the effective power of love, which forms and creates, parenthesis Goethe's fairy tale, close parenthesis, could not be achieved through them. The secret that a being must have in order to mature the fruit of love was hidden from them. For this reason it is said in occultism that they hid their countenance before the mystery of that being who should fulfill this cosmic deed, before the mystical Lamb. The secret of the Lamb is to redeem bodies from the earth through the effective power of the I that is permeated by Him. The great sacrifice, the mystery of the Lamb, became the middle point of earth evolution, the axis around which everything revolves. Thus, in the evolution of the earth, we have two influences, one working from outside as an in-streaming from the spirits of wisdom, and one working from within as the in-streaming of love that nearly appears at the mystery of Golgotha. And the spirits of wisdom work together with the spirit of love in such a way that they leave for him individual human beings between birth and death. For themselves they take the guidance of the individuality who goes through earthly incarnations. Thus that by which the human being stands on the ground of the earth is under the guidance of the spirit of love, the Christ. Human beings experience their lives in a human body composed of the earth's elements. The spirits of wisdom could not redeem these bodies that is, spiritualize them. They could create them full of wisdom. The fruit of earth evolution will be the human form spiritualized by Christ's deed of love, the human form which will be a reflection of its archetype. Before this mystery, the spirits of orbital periods hid their face in humility. Through Christ, the last crises, and there's a question mark in brackets here, will come. That, read that again. Through Christ, the last crises will come. That is the resurrection, the spiritualization of the flesh, that is, of matter. From the mystery of Golgotha onward, he has taken earthly evolution into his hands, and indeed in such a way that he works in individual personalities. There he works together with luciferic beings who bring freedom to the human being. 
human beings must find their way to love in freedom. Wisdom first worked in human beings as the light of knowledge. We are still right in the middle of this work. It leads human beings, when they are entirely permeated by the light of wisdom, to complete warming with the power of love. True knowledge of Christ in the future will be wisdom, glowing with the warmth of love. And it will lead people also in social living situations to the deeds that will create the future. This cosmic universal power of love, where did it first live on the earth? In the blood that pulsed through the body of Jesus of Nazareth. This blood was Christ's actual realm of working in the physical. The three bodies, the physical, the etheric, and the astral body, he took over from Jesus of Nazareth. The blood was entirely his own. It was entirely permeated by his spirit, by the fire of his cosmic universal power of love. This blood was offered to the earth and to all human beings on the earth. This blood continues to live etherically in the atmosphere of the earth. This fire in the blood works in all human beings who are willing to take it up, who strive for it, who seek it. Gradually the body and the soul and the spirit of the human being should take it up. The children of humanity, humanity's knowledge, should be heated by this fire and make the human being into the bearer of deeds that will realize the progress of the earth. The lower fire in the blood that is soaked in desires will die. And in this fire of light, the higher, Christ in the human being will resurrect. On Saturn there was as yet no light. It was black. On the sun, light radiated in and became glowing yellow. On the moon, there was as yet no red blood. Red blood could not yet exist. Illuminated by wisdom, this wisdom light of the moon was as white silvery as is the moonlight snow, as is the moonlight now, which shimmers on a surface of water. The eye is on the earth. The eye that irradiates red blood with the fire of love, which is the bearer of wisdom-filled knowledge of the human being, through which human beings are to be led to their earthly deeds. They will recognize the influence of the sun and the moon and the proper relationship of the earth and earthly human beings to them. The fire of the human eye will permeate everything. Human beings will recognize and have an overview of the path of their evolution. With a wisdom-filled review of the past, they will behold how they are the work of the gods. With a penetrating preview of the future filled with love, they will recognize themselves as instruments of the gods in every part of their being that is glowing with the fire of Christ the eye, the astral body, the etheric body, and the physical body. Rosicrucians call this the fourfold philosophical fire. The end of record C, record D, a powerful verse for Rosicrucians at a certain stage of development, quotes, drive for the fire, close quote. Seeing, 
that is, sensory perception, has an effect on the external solid physical body, earth. Rickets in children can be improved through appropriate, practiced, geometric observations. Sympathy and antipathy have an effect on vessels of glands, etheric body, water. Desire has an effect on the nerves, the organ of the astral, air. Decision-making that cannot be reversed, as everything else can, that creates karma, is connected to the blood, the organ of the eye-fire. If you cannot decide for or against, then rather let it go, says Confucius. But on the other hand, we should learn to make decisions properly. The transformation of the earth is brought about by making decisions. Further evolution occurs through decision. For the three years of Christ's journey on earth, he took over the physical etheric astral body. Christ entered therein with his eye, and thus the work of Christ was actually entirely in the blood. That was entirely his own. For this reason the blood of Christ plays such a great role. Gradually all the members, the children of the human race, are to be worked on and transformed by the eye body, soul, and spirit, that is worked on by fire, cooked in fire, nourished by fire, etc. What must be disposed of is then burned in death, and what then remains becomes all the more alive. On Saturn the fire was still without light, black fire. On the sun the fire was transformed into fire with light, indeed yellow light, hence yellow fire. On the moon the fluid in the beings was not yet red blood, but rather white, as with the beings left so far behind, hence white fire. On the earth people had come so far as to be able to keep the warmth within themselves that was outside on Saturn, in red blood, hence red fire. Silver and gold are the representatives of moon and sun influences, of forces that must be worked on, and purified by the fire of the eye. The result that is achieved when all four members, physical, etheric, astral, and eye, are entirely permeated by fire is called philosophical fire. And now there's a, a, a conversation between master and pupil here. The pupil spoke to the master, which is the path to life in the kingdoms of the supersensible, in which spirits create and souls have knowledge? The Master spoke. When you are able to abide for a while where none of the conditional beings touch you, then you are standing in the creating of the spirits. When you are able to abide for a while, where none of the perceiving senses speaks to you, then you are knowing through the power of the soul. The pupil spoke to the master, Where is the place to which I am thus directed? The master spoke, The place is in the eye, capital, yet you will find it only when your eye leaves you, when your willing is silent, and your senses are extinguished, and the I will is speaking, 
and the I am is lively. The pupil spoke to the master. How am I able to speak, I will, if my willing is silent? How am I able to enliven the I am, if my senses are extinguished? The master spoke. Only the willing that you do not will reveals I. Only the thought that you do not think proclaims the spirit. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Munich on March, somewhere between the 17th and the 20th of March, 1908. Manuscript from Amelie Fugger-Glut. In some notes, a passage follows, quote, the time of waiting until the esotericist, close quote. However, it actually belongs to the lesson from June 14, 1908. Compare that lesson, record A. Our fifth main race, the post-Atlantean, has the task of developing the spirit self. This happens to begin with in the Indian, the first sub-race, through the spirit self being sunk into the sentient body. In the following sub-race, the Persian, Manas permeates the sentient soul and thereby enters into a new element, the element of the soul. As a consequence, certain demons, who previously had no power over human beings, become free and set themselves in opposition to the human being. Demonology originates in this race. Previously there was no mention of demons in legends and myths. In the third sub-race, Manas is sunk into the intellectual soul. Thus, with the Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians, and Semites. A special change does not occur because Manas remains in the same element within the soul. In the fourth subrace, among the Greek and Latin peoples, the spirit self is formed in the consciousness soul, and thus also remains in the element of the soul. Christ Jesus comes down to the earth. He has the power to overcome the adversarial demons. For this reason we read in the Bible that he has bound Satan for a thousand years. Then our fifth sub-race follows. And now Manas again enters a new element. It begins to live a full life in its own element, spirit self in spirit self. In this way, new adversarial powers also become free, who were previously unknown to humankind. And these enemies come from the human being's own breast. Humans hinder one another by influencing one another so strongly as never before in the evolution of humankind. A case that was researched esoterically may perhaps provide an example of this. Four people lived together. The first one was not entirely normal, somewhat weak-minded, insane. The second was a very talented person. He was productive. He worked outwardly. The third was a so-called average person. The fourth was a truly highly developed human being, who, however, did not have the gift of being able to express himself. Now, how does the situation look, seen esoterically? 
The first had a very weak will, but is otherwise very normally gifted. The apparently average one, number three, on the other hand, is inwardly deranged and sends that out to the first one, so that actually the psychological condition of the third one comes to expression in the first. So what is the situation of the second gifted, productive person? This person actually has only the gift of being able to express something. The valuable content of all that he expressed was a transfer of the knowledge and the powers of wisdom of the fourth, who, however, did not have the gift of being able to express himself. But when he stammered a sentence, there was so much more genuine power contained therein than in the brilliant words that came forth from number two and impressed people so much. The task of human beings in the present age is increasingly to free themselves from the hindering influences in their surroundings and also to prevent such influences from coming forth from themselves. The human being should become more and more free. Out of their own free will, humans should recognize and bring into reality the eternal laws of the good. The spiritual world is revealed only to inwardly free human beings. If some esoteric pupils think that they perceive voices from the other side that call to them and tell them what they should do in ordinary everyday life, then that is a blatant self-delusion. The masters are silent when it comes to events of everyday life. They let their voices be heard only when humans raise themselves above their daily existence to the great laws of the world, when dealing with the evolution of the world and humanity. In their small circle of fellow human beings, individuals must learn to become entirely free, entirely independent, so that they can enter the spiritual world as free, self-aware beings, for only in this way can they become useful members in the evolution of humankind. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. The next esoteric lesson was given in Berlin on April 12, 1908, Record A, Manuscripts from Matilda Scholl and Lilla Harris, Record B, Manuscript from Camilla Vondry, Record A. In the early stages of evolution, the human being possessed spiritual vision and knowledge. The body was a resting, excuse me, the body was a kind of resting place for human beings, in which they could sleep and lose their consciousness while they dwelled therein. As their being became increasingly conscious in the physical realm, spiritual vision and knowledge retreated. When they finally became interested in the things around them, in the physical phenomena, and when their consciousness was in the physical, spiritual vision and knowledge disappeared entirely. Had they not developed such interest in the physical world, in the external world, then the physical realm would not have become so dense a veil. It would have been more transparent and they would be able to recognize spiritual things and to see. Because of their interest in their material surroundings, a veil was spread in front of their gaze, a veil they cannot easily penetrate. This interest in the external sensory phenomena is called estimatio in esotericism, 
And it is said that estimatio is a poison that brings death. It takes away consciousness of the continuing existence of the I, capital, and thus brings with it the consciousness of birth and death. It extinguishes the consciousness of the I, or the memory of continued life. Consciousness must not be entirely withdrawn from the external world, otherwise it would not take with it the essence of what it can acquire through external experiences. Exactly the same is the case with imagination. It must not be allowed to be absolutely inactive. Rather, human beings must be able to direct their consciousness onto an action or an image as they choose. Human beings would not be able to lift their hands unless they were able to imagine doing it in thought. When they raise their hands, then the image and action are present simultaneously. When they begin to imagine images without carrying out an action, that is, when they connect their consciousness with the imagined image, then they will again acquire the power to see spiritual things. They will then be able to see the astral again. This stage is called imago or imago. When the soul achieves perfect peace and tranquility so that it can maintain its perfect peace regardless of whatever external experiences may approach it, then its consciousness will be able to penetrate the veil of the harmony of the spheres, the music of the spheres. That means transmutatio through inspiration or incantatio. The formation of the glands on the sun took place through a process similar to the one that unfolds our body when someone thinks of a tasty dish and that causes the salivary glands and glands on the tongue to secrete saliva. In the same way, the glands were embodied into the physical body by higher beings who, so to speak, tasted the surroundings and secreted the substance of glands, which was then taken up into the physical bodies. The glands above the kidneys, which are connected with them, secrete a substance that is required for the formation of bones. The pancreas is present in order to transform sugar into substances that are required for the body's nourishment. Secretion by the glands is a process that is brought about by psychological and soul processes. When human beings lived in an astral or picture consciousness, when their spirit could voluntarily move into spiritual realms, some beings remained standing at this stage. This stage remained, so to speak, crystallized within them, and birds represent this in a crystallized form. Birds, which have such a wonderful eye as EYE, for example, the eagle, have astral vision crystallized. Mammals crystallized the stage when humans attempted to master the movements of their bodies. These animals achieved this only in part and for this reason remained on a lower stage of evolution. The end of record A. Record B. What separates the human being from perception of the spiritual world? Human beings were not always as they stand before us today, with eye, astral body, etheric body, and physical body. Only gradually was all that formed. 
The eye of the human being, which now lives in the three sheaths, was once located outside them. It was entirely in the spiritual world. It did not perceive a physical external world by means of the three bodies as it does today. It rather perceived the spiritual world and its beings. It itself was a spiritual being and lived with spiritual beings in this spiritual world. The external physical world was only gradually formed. As much as is now present was not yet present for the eye. Birth and death did not yet exist. In the course of the earth's condensing process, at first light, fire bodies came into existence. This spiritual being, the human being, that is the I, experienced the laying down of its body or receiving another body the same way one might put on or take off a coat. The consciousness of this spiritual human being was not thereby changed. Human beings looked back to the state before entry into a new body so that they felt, quote, this body is a hindrance to me. When I lay it down, then I feel liberated from the hindrance. Close quote. The external world around them was also something alien. Their soul at first did not participate in it. Then human beings' attitude toward the external world changed. They became interested in it. When they let it influence them with the organs that were being opened, the organs of their increasingly densified body, They began to hear, taste, smell, touch, and so forth, and thereby made the external world into their own concern. In this way, their earlier consciousness of the being of the spiritual world disappeared. The more they identified with their own sheaths, the more the spiritual world disappeared to them. Receiving a new body increasingly seemed to them like a beginning. Casting it off seemed like an end that tore them out of the world that they were gradually coming to see as their own. For this reason, in all esoteric schools, the the words applied, quote, the estimatio is the poison that brought death, close quote. The estimatio is the first veil separating the eye from the spiritual world. In all esoteric schools, the pupil was taught, the second veil separating the eye from the spiritual world will be shown to you when you learn intimately to pay attention to what you as an entirely ordinary person do not attend to at all. Every single movement that a person carries out, if for example he or she raises a hand, extends a leg, those are reflections of spiritual processes, that is, a reflection and imago of a spiritual process. This movement is first in the spiritual realm, of which present-day human beings are entirely unconscious, because this spiritual realm lives in the unconscious depths of their being. Only when, excuse me, only then does the hand execute the action. It is somewhat different with movements caused by reflexes. For example, if I close my eyes because a fly is flying toward them, then that is a movement arising from the same power from which, for example, 
the common vetch wraps itself around another plant. The imaginatio of the human being manifests itself in the bodily movements. Earlier this was different. When human beings still lived entirely in the spiritual world, they also worked in this spiritual world in such a way that they could influence other beings with this imaginatio. They only sank into their body in order to rest in it in some corner or other of our planet. Their actual activity unfolded in the spiritual world as imaginatio. Human beings now use this imaginatio in order to allow external movement to flow into the body. In this way they draw the second veil in front of the spiritual world. By means of estimatio and imaginatio, humans are held back from perceiving the spiritual world so that their physical body and etheric body work together. It is difficult to describe how the etheric body is separated from the spiritual world. All processes within the glands are processes of the etheric body. They produce certain secretions that make life processes possible. The secretion from the saliva glands prepares food for digestion. The secretion of the kidneys and adrenal glands makes it possible for humans to build their skeleton as it needs to be for their existence on earth. Now, the power that causes these secretions is by all means a spiritual power. We can form a clear picture of this from the following process. A person hears of a dish that he or she especially loves. Especially with a primitive person, saliva is secreted into the mouth even without food being eaten. The desire for the dish which rises up in response to the thought of the dish, brings about the process. We know that the glandular organs evolved on Otsan. There this spiritual power was at work from outside, and this power streamed in from outside. Spiritual beings were, so to speak, constantly tasting there. This spiritual power that is effective there is called incantatio, Earthly humans drew the power of incantatio into their sympathy and antipathy and thereby drew the third veil in front of the spiritual world. The teacher gives his or her pupils the instructions they are to follow if they are to find the the way back. The teacher shows them how these three veils can be made transparent so that they no longer conceal the spiritual soul world and how un can again find a way back to these worlds through their power. The teacher says to the pupils something like this. That is, the teacher says nothing, but the pupils hear in their own soul, when they listen into it, something surrounding them, like this. You see before you the outer world. It speaks to you through your senses. You must recognize it in its value or lack of value. You are not allowed to turn away from it, for it is a part of the whole world and has its value as such a part of the whole world. Experience the outer world. Listen well to what it wants to say to you. For what you as a human being have to give the cosmos and the whole world through your experience of the outer world is something spiritual. 
you must give back to the spiritual world the proper experience of the outer world as an enrichment of all the world being. However, an inner power must arise in you, into which you must sink entirely. This power is called peaceful equanimity. Master Eckhart speaks of the behavior of the soul with respect to the outer world. He says, The soul should use the senses of the physical body the way one uses a door. One opens it, goes through it, and closes it again. Then one is outside the door. And if one has finished one's tasks outside the door, then one goes through it again, back into one's own inner room. Thus it is with human beings in the outer world. Outside is the loud noise of the outer world. When you leave it and enter into your inner space, then you find peaceful calm. If you wanted constantly to rattle the door handles, that would be a twofold movement that would bring you unrest, and you could neither know the outer world properly, nor could you find the proper way for your soul to relate to the outer world. You must transform the estimatio. The proper appreciation of what you should receive as a gift, as something essential from the outside world, will come to you in inner peace and serenity, and you must learn to strictly distinguish between the essential and the inessential, which is indicated by the noise of the rattling of the door. The essential thing that a human being can experience in the outer world, and only in that world, is the gift that you as a human being are to bring gratitude back to the spiritual worlds for the fact that you were allowed to experience this outer world. When you learn to live in the essential, then the key is put into your hands so that you can attain the eternal values in the outer world that defeat death. Thus the estimatio is transformed into knowledge of what the outer world can give you as inner power that can only be developed when the soul learns to relate to the outer world in absolute inner peace and calm. Estimatio is transformed into knowledge. This inner capacity for knowledge leads pupils further. They have learned to allow the impressions from the outer world to approach them in a way that they themselves determine. They gradually set aside the first veil of the eye put in front of the spiritual world through estimatio. They also recognize this I as something that must grow beyond itself. They learn to distinguish between their own experience of their I and an I experience that feels united with a purely human element and the whole of humankind, which feels itself to be a part of all of humankind. They learn to place the center of their I experience within themselves. They listen to the voice within. They can hear it only by means of the profound calmness that they have created within themselves. The noise of the everyday has been silenced within them. They have closed the doors of their soul to this noise. Peace, deep quiet, is in them. They are alone with their thoughts just as earlier they were together with things in space. 
Gradually they learn to understand how these things came into being in all their multiplicity through the creative sound of God, which from outside sounded into the thought substance of the world of the divine light wisdom of the moon, giving form, creating form. Inwardly they touch, so to speak, every external form. They experience the creative cosmic world of sounds, and their own inner mobility becomes for them a reflection of that creative power of the gods. Thus they push forward to melt the second veil that they had woven in front of the spiritual world. The imago is transformed in their inner experience into imaginatio, that is, into the ability to recognize the living essential, divine power, to create that sounds, read that again, into the ability to recognize the living essential, divine power to create that sounds forth to the soul from the things outside. Gradually an inner sound opens to them, through which things tell them their innermost name. They hear this sound with their soul. The pupils push forward to transform the third veil. They transform the incantatio into inspiration. Then the inner sound becomes the inner word. This inner word is a living, meaningful speaking from the spiritual world into the soul of the pupils. It is a living power that flows into the soul from the spiritual world that spiritually tells the soul something. All higher truths are achieved by means of such inner speaking into the soul. Humans can have this only if they listen, free of sympathy and antipathy, free of criticisms, quiet and devoted to what comes to them from spiritual worlds. Spiritual sound becomes spiritual life, initiation. That's the end of that esoteric lesson. Next esoteric lesson is from Berlin, May 15, 1908. Record A, notes from Paula Stritzik. Record B, manuscript from Lilla Harris. Record A. Human beings now stand in the world in such a way that they perceive the physical. This perception is called estimatio. Through estimatio they acquire interest in the physical world, and it is this interest that binds them to the physical world. One can grow out of this by recognizing the spiritual behind things. At an earlier stage of consciousness, people did not yet have estimatio for the physical. At that time they still had imaginatio, and even earlier, incantatio, or inspiratio. Now during the day, people usually have only estimatio. Imaginatio they have only at night. Actually, human beings are unproductive during the day. Earlier human beings were much more productive. The spiritual human being produced the physical body out of himself. Now the human being is productive only at night in sleep. We must ask ourselves, what actually happens during the day when human beings are consciously confronted with the world? Consciousness raises through the fact that the astral body and the I, during the day, destroy the etheric and physical bodies. 
In this process it is as if the nerves were torn in pieces when the astral body and the eye become conscious of their physical surroundings. The astral body and the eye have a deadening effect on the etheric and and the physical bodies. This is the origin of exhaustion in the human body. The physical world flowing into the human organism has the effect of a poison that works destructively. Now what happens in the night? During the night the eye and the astral body absorb forces from the spiritual world and send them into the etheric and the astral body. These forces surround the physical body with pictures that work on the physical body in a healing way. When the spiritual world opens to people for the first time, they see at first their own physical body. This picture of the physical body has a healing effect on them. So too in the night, the astral body and the eye work on the human being, giving strength and healing by means of the true pictures from the spiritual world. They flow into the torn nerves and the destroyed organism. Thus, in the night, such forces flow into the body from the spiritual world. These forces remove exhaustion from the body. Fatigue enters in mainly through interest in things. If you observe something without interest, then fatigue is not caused. Let us say, for example, that someone is particularly fond of a good dish. This causes interest in the food because it tastes good. It has an entirely different effect on people if they are clear about their relationship to the cosmos, that they are now at a stage where they have a physical body and need nourishment. If they enjoy the food with this feeling, then it has an entirely different effect on their organism than if they were to get it only because of an addiction to pleasure. Human beings must learn to recognize the spiritual through the physical, then they will lose interest in the physical. The estimatio is a stage which we are to see as the deepest point of evolution. We are to grow beyond this point and into imaginatio, which we had earlier. If, however, we unite with the physical world because of this interest, then we go below the deepest stage and lose the possibility of ascent. It is very important for people to learn to occupy themselves with things that lie on the other side of the threshold from the physical, with ideas and concepts that are supersensible. The exercises are given to this end. The longer and more patiently pupils practice certain mental representations, the better they learn to overcome interest and to ascend to imaginatio. Then, instead of just receiving from outside themselves, they become productive themselves. Then they send something from within themselves out into the world. It is justifiably said that they have the sun and the moon within themselves. When they observe things without interest, they themselves radiate a spiritual light on them. They become the sun that illuminates the things. Then things reflect their light. The surroundings that reflect the light become the moon. Correct ideas have a healing effect on people, while false ideas make them sick. One can trace every illness back to a false idea. 
It is not the individual who is responsible for this, but humankind in general. Interest does not have to be directed only at external things. It also has a destructive effect, where people rush from one sensation to another, where they are eager for constant change. That makes people sick. Also, when people are thirsty for knowledge of higher things due to interest, this too is a big hindrance for human progress. They are thereby ossified. People must not become indifferent to the surrounding world. They must retain their feeling and concern for the surrounding world. It is often said that compassion can also come from egotism. That is frequently the case. Many kinds of compassion arise only from egotism, because someone cannot bear to see another suffer. But this too is necessary. Before people have achieved a higher stage, it is better for them to help someone out of egotistical compassion than not at all. However, we must learn to develop a kind of compassion that stands above egotism, that helps people because it is their duty to help. The end of Record A. Record B. The direction of the senses of modern humankind is called estimatio in the Rosicrucian sense. This is a directing of the senses only toward impressions and influences from the outer world. In earlier ages, Atlantis, instead of estimatio was imaginatio. Now we allow everything to influence us only from outside while in earlier times pictures rose up within us. The entire esoteric training consists only of working toward and expecting the moment when we acquire again imaginatio alongside estimatio. We must work toward this moment constantly, subtly, patiently, not in a tumultuous storming forward. We should not hope for success from constantly adopting new exercises. Only by constant, patient repetition of the same exercise year after year do we reach, if at all, our goal in subtle work, in secret, as every little seed of life can develop only in a quiet, hidden place. Not by means of stormy, impatient pushing forward. In that way we destroy, at best, the delicate seeds within us that hardly have been formed. In waking consciousness, the eye and the astral body have a destructive effect on the entire organism. Present-day natural science has already stepped back from the idea that the life of thought is based on the vibrations of atoms in the brain. It is discovered that the work of thinking has a destructive effect on nervous tissue. It is not a confusing swirl of individual atoms in the nerve centers, but rather a flow along the nerve centers. The destruction is brought about by personal interest, sympathy and antipathy that we bring to meet the things of the external world. In the sleeping state, the nerves are improved again as the astral thinks what is healthy and healing imaginatively through which the nerves are properly restored. When we have developed ourselves far enough so that we no longer approach things with personal interest, but rather do everything out of a pure sense of responsibility and imagine the spiritual beings that stand behind everything, 
then our organism will no longer experience this destructive influence. Then we will, ha- we will have attained the condition the Rosicrucians call imaginatio. In spiritual development, people at first see themselves in the astral. Through this imaginative vision of themselves, they are involuntarily working on themselves in waking consciousness, which they usually do only in sleep. This lack of interest should not lead to indifference, but rather to equanimity. When people otherwise feel compassion, and then, in order not to have to feel the other's pain, help, then this help is given because of egotism. However, people should help in order to remedy need and misery. If people eat only because eating gives them pleasure, then that is personal interest. Human beings must eat, but only in order to fill the space they occupy in the world as well as possible. They must keep their bodies healthy and strong, so as to have an instrument as useful as possible. Thus eating becomes a responsibility, a duty. When we approach things with personal interest, we only are wanting something for ourselves personally. Wishing and wanting, desires and drives are at work within us, and that has a destructive effect. But if we try to work, to act, and to think for everything outside of us, then we develop sun forces within. The sun sends its rays to the moon, and the moon reflects them back. So should we send out the sun forces developed within us, to the things and beings around us, then they will shine on us so that everything around us becomes light-filled, clear and bright. There is nothing any more that is ugly, evil or ignoble. In everything we see only the beautiful, the good, the lofty. End of Esoteric Lesson The next Esoteric Lesson, given in Hamburg on May 22, 1908, Record A, Manuscript Manuscript from Camilla Wandry, Record B, Notes from Amelie Wagner, Manuscript A, Supplemented by Notes from Mrs. Shield. Record A. The first and main thing in esoteric training is self-knowledge. The teacher says, imagine seeing your own image in a mirror. You will see a distorted picture if the mirror is bad, a proper one if the mirror is good. If you want to see yourself as you are, You yourself must make the mirror good and clear. Those who allow themselves to be torn this way and that by their desires and wishes, who cannot make a decision for themselves, who listen carefully to what others tell them, those people are like someone who finds him or herself in a small boat in the ocean and is thrown this way and that by the waves and wind. Those, however, who maintain control over their desires and wishes who do not allow themselves to be influenced by other people, are to be compared to someone who takes hold of the rudder with strength and confidence and guides the boat through wind and weather to its goal. In esotericism, there are aids to making a correct decision, a correct judgment. The symbol that you are receiving was used by the spiritual beings who had to guide the wisdom of the moon 
from a condition that, in the first era of Old Moon, was still full of errors, to a condition that was wisdom, creative, error-free wisdom. These beings achieved pure wisdom with such symbols. Place this symbol before your soul, and it looks like a giant capital Y. The people with whom we come into a relationship always influence us. For example, people who drink milk are different from people who consume alcohol, even though they may only come to expression outwardly with time. There are currents streaming through space to which we are exposed, that come and go, passing back and forth between people. We are thereby unfree within ourselves when these currents influence us. As true esotericists, we must become free from them. This will become clear through the following example involving four people. A A is a so-called sensitive person, easily accessible to all that happens around him. He understands things quickly. However, he himself is weak. Nothing uniquely his comes forth from his soul. He stands in relation to B, who has a predisposition toward a certain form of mental illness, which, however, does not manifest in a breakdown. He is protected from it by his robust, rustic nature. C is a third person, a powerful spiritual nature, a genius. D, the fourth, is like A, sensitive, easily impressionable. A, who easily picks up everything from his surroundings, succumbs to the specific form of mental illness that he absorbed from B due to his sensitivity. He becomes insane. But this is not his own insanity, but rather that of B. D, who is also sensitive, does not acquire the mental illness from B, but rather absorbs the genius of C. He appears to be an ingenious, brilliant person, although actually he is not. He is a kind of poor imitation of the intellectuality of C. Here he is a brilliant personality. He knows what to say about everything. He can speak about everything. However, he does not have a single correct judgment originating in himself. A strong individual personality appears perhaps not to be so brilliant, perhaps passes few judgments, and then only with hesitation. But those judgments originate in himself, out of inner conviction, out of inner strength. Surely this second person will appear to us as the more valuable. Esoteric pupils should free themselves from all external influences surrounding them, not in order to flee the world, but rather in order to make their own true higher I, the spiritual self, the true human being within, the true human being within, independent. In truth, we have not just four members but five, namely the physical body, etheric body, astral body, and a sheath, I, behind which the true, the actual I, the true human being is found. We pour all the influences that come to us from the outer world, that tear and distort us back and forth, into the sheath I. All the influences that go from one person to another in the characterized way impact the sheath I. The true, the actual I, that far, far exceeds the other, we must try to strengthen. Then we are invulnerable to the outer influences. 
How do we do that? In the good Rosicrucian school, a symbol was given for this purpose, and there's a large capital Y. Concerning the symbol, the teacher says, To be sure you cannot use the method you receive with this symbol, with everything that happens to you during the day, especially in those fast-paced times. Yet in a thousand instances, you should do it at least once. That one time, imagine this form before your spiritual ego when you are confronted with the need to make a decision. Then imagine that along one line the words are written, Command me. Then in a contemplative way, let everything pass through your soul that can be said in favor of the deed in question. Everything must be well and logically thought through. A fact that follows from the previous fact must be truthfully, that is, in accordance with the facts, be thought through, until at the conclusion of the line of thought you have standing clearly before you, your soul, what appears as the goal of the decision that is to be translated into a deed. Then think of the other line. On the other line stands written, Forbid me. Here you must also list all the facts that speak against the decision. This must be done just as clearly, with complete objectivity, without sympathy or antipathy. Then let your gaze sweep along the line with no writing. There you imagine you yourself are standing, but your true eye, not your sheath eye, stands there. Then wait quietly and compare what appear as the facts that speak for the line labeled Command Me and for the line labeled Forbid Me by looking back and forth between them. And then the correct decision will appear in your mind and your true eye will have given it to you. You must do the same if you have to make a judgment. Along one line is written correct, on the other incorrect. Your higher self stands on the unwritten line. Readers aside, which is the one pointing vertically down. End of readers aside. It is unmoved by the currents that flow through the room, whether they come from other human beings or from spiritual beings. Your true, unique, inner I, uninfluenced by the sheath I, will then tell you the correct judgment, if again you listen quietly and with perfect inner calm and seclusion to what it says. Such forms and lines originate in the spiritual world. The masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings have given them to us because they know that such forms have an effect on the spiritual within us. A form such as this awakens the true I in the human being, lifts it out of the unconscious into our consciousness. The human being was once created by the gods from forms, numbers and lines, measure, number and weight, one says in esotericism. Forms, numbers and lines influence humans. Black magic knows this. It uses them to create dependency in human beings, to enslave them to its influences on the will. White magic makes people independent. Its goal is to lift the higher self, the true inner ruler of the human being, into consciousness and thereby to make human beings into free, strong, independent beings. The end of Record A. Record B. In order to become free, we must first know how unfree we are. We are constantly surrounded by spirits of all kinds. Spiritual beings work on our bodies. 
We do not realize how our skin is constantly active, how everything is going through it, both in and out of us. All kinds of human beings surround us and influence us. Four types of human beings were shown to us in order to reveal to us secrets of existence. A is receptive, sensitive. B has a predisposition to insanity, close relationship between the two. B has a robust nature. Insanity does not break through. On the other hand, B's insanity breaks through in A. C is similar to A. C will absorb strength and talents from D. D is a healthy, energetic, and enterprising person. The two are in a close relationship with one another. C remains healthy. If A had been in C's place, he would have remained healthy. Another example. A person can appear as a brilliant man. He bubbles over with humor and knowledge. However, the spiritual scientist recognizes that he is fundamentally an imbecile. But he is receptive to everything around him and he reflects everything. People love this. Everything is brought to them preserved, which they otherwise would have had to gather together themselves. For this reason, such a person is taken for a great light. But if you look further, you will notice that he has no independent judgment of his own. Had he been born in a village, he would have been considered an imbecile. In the village, there would be nothing for him to reflect back. Another person who forms an independent judgment concerning any, everything and rejects what does not agree with his or her inner conviction is strong in the eyes of an esotericist. We must learn to free ourselves from all influences. For this there is a means. The only means is to become independent in thinking and judging, not dependent on the judgment of one's family, the world, etc., an aid for this is the capital Y. Seeds of power from the masters through knowing the other being. If esotericism were detrimental to one's own freedom, then it would be black magic. Do not withdraw from the world. An esotericist should live and work in the world. Lower and higher eye. The lower eye is, so to speak, a cloak, a skin. It consists of everything that streams to us from the outer world. The higher eye is noticeable in few people. The great masses are a mirror of their surroundings. How can we bring the higher eye to act, to take initiative? The esoteric school gives a simple example, excuse me, gives a simple means, first of all with respect to what we can do, secondly with respect to our understanding. Imagine a circle divided into three parts, then eliminate the circle angled approximately 120 degrees. This keeps the spirit free from foreign influences and the higher eye will let itself be perceived. Simple means. Do not disdain. Habituation to thinking in lines and points. That is the way spiritual beings did it, who, for example, created crystals, also as they created you. Thus, we will enliven our higher eye and become aware of it. And we will follow in our thinking and acting what it prescribes for us. We feel and will continue to feel the influences from the outer world upon our inner life, but we are growing beyond that. We see them as not belonging to us. 
We must endure them within us as a part of our work in the world. It is a poison. But we must allow this gift to trickle into us in order to transform it. The end of that esoteric lesson. This is now the last esoteric lesson uh, of this second section of the year 1908. There will be one more section of the year 1908. This is esoteric lesson given in Hamburg on May 24th, 1908. Record A, manuscript from Camilla Wandry. Record B, notes from Amelie Wagner, supplemented by notes from Mrs. Shield. Record A, desire today comes from the astral body. Interest lies in the eye. Pleasure in the etheric body. In earlier times, interest was in the astral body, desire in the etheric body, and pleasure in the physical body. Pictures arose in the astral body, and people knew accordingly what was good or injurious for them. They were interested in these pictures that rose up in their souls. And this interest, the consciousness of these pictures, remained in them also when the physical body was changed became another one. This astral consciousness, not yet a consciousness of self, was enduring. That changed when the I, which formerly was outside in the spiritual realm, was sunk into humans and increasingly permeated them. Interest interest seeped into the I. The I drew interest into itself. It drew everything into the region of itself. In this way it cut itself off from the divine. The consequence was death. Everything that happens only for the individual, that is not for the whole, that happens for something separated from the whole, is, therefore, egotism, and in the end leads to destruction of this individual, to death. This interest that comes from the I Rosicrucians call estimatio. We must raise up interest into the astral again. Thus we achieve imaginatio. When desire is again transferred to the etheric body, we achieve incantatio or inspiratio. And by transferring pleasure from the etheric body into the physical body, we achieve intuitio. When our actions no longer follow personal interest, when we do what we have to do in such a way that we follow inner necessities imposed upon us by a correctly understood law of karma, when we hand over our deeds to the outer world in accordance with this law in inner calmness, then we are overcoming estimatio by means of our higher self, which is then the agent of activity. And when we are supported by the power of this I, and thus no longer allow ourselves to be driven by the currents and influences that come to us from the outside world, only then can we achieve correct judgments concerning the external world. We then gather wisdom from it. It reveals its own inner being in imagination, inspiration, and intuition when we stand before it with a calm composure. And when, with everything we do and think, we do and think in such a way that we know that it has an influence on the whole, on all my thoughts and feelings, and also on my deeds, nothing exists for itself. Everything wants to be devoted to humankind. 
Everything should be consecrated to the service of humanity. When this lives as the foundation of all feeling in the pupil, then he or she is developing buddhi, the Christ principle. Thus he or she allows the higher triad to emerge from the given figure. There's a picture, it's the capital Y, and set into it symmetrically is a, is a straight-up triangle. The, uh, the left fork of the Y going up says Manas, the right fork of the Y is Buddhi, and the one straight down is Atman. Readers aside, in another set of notes, this last paragraph reads, and readers aside, when we no longer follow our personal interests in our actions, but rather are focused only on what is best for the whole, when we allow the Christ principle to work in us, when we no longer allow ourselves to be driven by influences and currents flowing around us that storm in toward us from other people, but we rather follow the command me in the form of the why and close ourselves, so to speak, against the stream, so too against the direction forbid me and the direction then we are developing ourselves toward inner calmness and we allow the higher triad thereby to emerge in us. End of record A. Record B, and there's that triangle with the Y inside at this time. The form was given through which we can make our higher I conscious and effective in our daily life. How can we control our desires and yet in doing so escape the danger of becoming alienated from daily life. In the Lemurian age, before the human being received an eye, we find that one, two, three physical, etheric, and astral bodies were governed by divine spiritual beings. Astral pictures were mirrored in the astral body, recognizing what was useful, detrimental, etc. In this period, the three great powers were Number four, I, interest. Number three, astral body, longing. Number two, etheric body, pleasure, after Lemurian age. And okay. All desires were simultaneously deeds. Nourishment went in and out without desire. Divine beings took care of nourishment. Humans did not yet have any interest in anything external. They still lived in God. For this reason, sickness and death also did not exist. There was only a change of bodies as when one changes clothes. Then the eye came into human beings and brought about this great difference, that they began to be interested in more than just what went on in their souls. The light that until then shone in them now shone on them from outside, from the objects of the physical plane and their eyes radiated it back as they desired the things that surrounded them. In this way they achieved what is esoterically called estimatio, that brought death to the human being. Every time we look at something with interest, we take in poison and death. And that became our task here on earth. Previously humans acted in the astral. Since they became interested in physical objects and desired them, they have been working on the first physical plane. Esoteric pupils who want to get to higher worlds can achieve this by imagining an action vividly but not carrying it out. That strengthens the imaginatio. 
By not giving desire any space, by not fulfilling it, they raise the desire from the second body, etheric body, to the third body, astral body. Leaving out all the external things, we have the figure, the left arm command me, the right arm forbid me, the lower line is the decision of the eye. If we regard our body as one of the things with which we are entrusted, then we will nourish the body, as earlier the gods nourished our bodies on the moon, and in this way we will bring pleasure back into the body. That is the end of that esoteric lesson, and the end of this second section of the year 1908, Esoteric Lessons by Rudolf Steiner.